Welcome to your High Vibration Life podcast with Robin Openshaw, also known online as the Green Smoothie Girl. When you're living your high vibration life, you're healthier in every way. You're more productive, creative, peaceful, and loving. Your high vibration life is calling. And now your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw and welcome back to Vibe. I have someone interesting I want to introduce you to today. I feel like it's become a theme that everybody in the health and wellness world that I brought on this show to talk about their expertise in health, in wellness, in nutrition had quite a path, quite a journey. And I have a new friend. Her name's Ashley James. She's a health coach. She had um, struggled with health issues her whole life. And like me, she struggled with infertility as one of her issues. I personally went through five years of infertility and treatments, the testing, all of the tests twice, uh, five artificial inseminations. She was t- she had been told when she was 19, uh, an endocrinologist told her that she would never have children. And when Ashley was only 22, her mother died of cancer. And this was a really devastating loss and caused her to take a a close look at what she wanted to spend the rest of her life doing. And she decided she really wanted to be part of helping other people live healthier lives. She became a massage therapist, a Reiki master, um, a master practitioner in neuro-linguistic programming, if you're familiar with NLP. And a lot of other things like hypnosis, timeline therapy, different types of health coaching. And throughout her young life, in her 20s, she was struggling with hormone issues, diabetes, weight gain, lots of infections, chronic fatigue syndrome, and the medical doctors had just been offering drugs to manage symptoms, but but she had not arrived at answers to help her body heal. So in 2011, she started looking at naturopathy and holistic medicine for, for answers. She completely reversed her diabetes, resolved her hormone issues, got her energy back, stopped all the chronic infections. And what's most exciting is that, like me, uh, after six years of trying to get pregnant, the traditional medical way, only their interventions. Ashley and her husband, after six years, were able to actually have a baby recently, thanks to naturopathic medicine and cleaning up her diet. Same thing for me. Once I cleaned up my diet, the other three babies came easily, quickly, without intervention. So Ashley actually is, I know it's a really long intro, but one of the reasons I wanted to have her on this show is that I've actually sort of tried to hire her because she she interviewed me on her podcast, which is not very old. There, She's only two years old and she's had 2 million downloads of her podcast for health coaches. And you really want to plug into her um, Learn True Health podcast because I've learned a lot there. She's always interviewing doctors and holistic health experts. In two years, she's done well over, two, I think she's at like 220 episodes right now. And she's just a really good interviewer. When she interviewed me for Vibe, I was really blown away. So you're probably thinking I'm not actually going to interview Ashley, that I'm just going to talk about Ashley, (laughs) but welcome. (laughs) It's such a pleasure to be here. I loved our interview. We, it was episode 178 and you know, my husband and I had been really big 
bacon eaters, like nitrate free bacon, like all natural bacon. And after our interview, we actually cut pork out of our diet. That was like, I, I walked out of my office, my home office. And the first thing I said to him was, was guess what frequency pork is. And, uh, and he just said, that's it. No more pork. And, uh, since then we've actually gone pretty much meatless. And I went from being ketogenic and paleo for about seven years to going more meatless because what's amazing about being a health podcaster, and I'm sure you can, you can attest to this, is that every time I interview another doctor, another expert, I learn something new and then I go and try it. And I see for myself what, what, like what it does my body respond to it. And I hear from my listeners how it helped them as well. And I've had a, a series of these uh, uh, holistic health experts on the show that all say, you know, you can really get a lot of protein from natural sources, from pumpkin seeds and legumes. And, you know, look for the cleaner sources of protein that have a better impact on the environment and also on your body. And if you, if you had told me a year ago that I'd be wanting to try out more meatless options, I would have told you you're crazy because I was like practically Atkins. But now I'm finding that I feel so good and it just took my health to a whole new level and I'm just playing around with it. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going to give up meat forever. Um, but it's, this is, this is what happens. I interview people and then I try on what they teach. And so I, uh, learned so much from you and our interview, uh, about, uh, becoming more conscious of the frequency of our foods than that. I implemented that and our whole family loved it. And it's so cool that every episode I make sure that in my interviews, like you do, that listeners walk away with tangible, actionable steps they can take to better their health. Yeah. You got to go read John Robbins book, The Food Revolution. It's a book that I read when I was your age with one one little guy like you have. And I read his book. I, I'm actually publishing tomorrow on the Green Smoothie Girl blog, a review of The Food Revolution. And it's a blog, some blog posts that I published in multi-part form many years ago. And we're kind of cleaning up the Green Smoothie Girl site and taking old, great content and bring it up to 2018 standards. And it's, it's part of that effort, but it's kind of a tribute to John Robbins work because when I read the food revolution and I read how much foodborne illness is in pork and how many microbes are in just a cubic square inch of beef and pork, um, how many, all the foodborne illnesses come from, you know, the vast majority of it comes from those animal products. And when I learned the impact on the ecosystem specifically of beef and pork and, and how very, very toxic um, the byproducts are of pork, which I know is not where we're going with this podcast episode. I gave up cold turkey and I, I, didn't, I was like you. I, I, if somebody tried to tell me I can't have something, then I'm just going to have it. Um, and I don't even do that to myself, but I don't, I don't think I realized until recently that I stopped eating pork and beef completely overnight after reading his work. So if you want to be a motivator, go, go read that book. He's not strident or angry or, you know, you're just going to read, you're going to read hundreds of data points and, uh, reasoning. And he, he's actually not entirely vegan. He eats a little bit of fish and I have interviewed him and you may be able to find him to interview him. He's in his mid seventies and he can do pull-ups around most 20 year olds. Um, <laughs> he's an amazing American hero. Um, he's been on this podcast. He, said no to the Baskin Robbins fortune. He was the heir to the throne and said, no, I don't want to, I don't want to be part of making people sick. So 
first of all, two years is all, and you have 2 million downloads of your podcast. I was hoping that you could kind of go through some of the, the podcast episodes and just riff a little bit. Like mm-hmm. I might bust in every now and then, but talk about some of the people you've interviewed and why they're amazing and what you learned from them. You just told me some stuff about interviewing me that made an impact on your life, which I couldn't be more grateful for. That's why I like doing podcast interviews, but you've learned a lot from a lot of people, I think. Oh yeah. It's, it has been, it's been amazing. Um, episode 54 with Michael Weinberger, I've had him on the show multiple times since, but that one episode, it really blew my mind. He is bipolar and he was suicidal. He, he wouldn't be here right now for work for about 18 medications. And me, I'm not, I'm not a, like a big pharma kind of person. I'm like the exact opposite, but you know what, if it keeps him alive, like all power to him. His story is amazing. And it's, it's actually very, a lighthearted interview. Um, he's very comical, but he developed, he developed a strategy for how to stay sane basically. And it's an app that he created. It's amazing for mental health and emotional health. And, and you don't have to have a mental or emotional, um, uh, in, you know, illness or uh, conflict in order to gain the benefits from his app. He talks about the power of uh, doing a gratitude journal and the power of becoming aware of your happiness level. And he has these strategies for gaining happiness. Uh, I thought that was so impactful because here we are focusing so much on health, but we have to understand that health, we have to look at health holistically. So where, where are you, you know, in your emotional health and your mental health and your physical health and your spiritual health and your energetic health and taking that all in. And so I love that I, I'll, I'll make sure that I get guests that, that touch on the emotional and the mental, um, as well as the physical Stephanie Seneff, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, who's a PhD, MIT top research scientist was episode 89. And she uncovers, uh, through met a collaboration of research that it is gl- that glyphosate is found in the MRI um, vaccine, which is uh, causing autism, and it's very controversial. Um, but she comes at it from a pure science standpoint, and she explains the health impact of glyphosate, not just the negative impacts of vaccines, but she actually her whole episode goes into understanding what does glyphosate do to our body and what does it do to the planet? So glyphosate's in Roundup. So basically if you're eating conventionally grown wheat, even legumes, there's many crops now that they they won't spray glyphosate on while they're, because they're not um, Roundup ready. So they're not um, genetically modified. Like well, soy, and I for should, example. I should bust um, in. I should bust in and say that if the animals you eat are not organic, mm-hmm. they have even higher concentrations of glyphosate in their um, mm-hmm. organs and, and their tissues that you eat, um, mm-hmm. even more than conventionally sprayed unwashed produce because it, it concentrates in, exactly. in animal protein. Yep. Yes. And what they're doing is they're, they're using glyphosate to sort of, uh, finish the crop off. So if there's a crop of legumes, they'll spray on it to basically kill the plant and make it easier to harvest. And that, that is, um, detrimental to the the soil because, uh, glyphosate is a chelator. What that means is it binds to the minerals in the soil, washes them away. So now the soil is void of nutrition. Um, but it does the same to our body. And what glyphosate does, it binds to heavy metals like aluminum and mercury and lead. Um, and it 
then releases them into our uh, brain. It does this, uh, glyphosate does this thing where when it hits a certain acidity, so when it goes from the, the blood to the blood-brain barrier, it'll release heavy metals into the brain and uh, cause all sorts of damage. And she has, she has lots of interesting facts about that. And then she talks about how we can reverse it because she's seen with the help of natural medicine, children detox, and then they no longer are on the spectrum. So were they ever autistic to begin with? And I, I find that fascinating because so many parents are desperate for, to seek out the answers to help their children be the healthiest they can be. And we should really be concerned about that. I actually just interviewed Dr. Klinghart, who's um, like world-renowned for detoxification of heavy metals. That's episode 218. And he blew my mind. He shares natural things you can do, you know, chlorella, garlic, cilantro, um, natural things you could eat every day that pull heavy metals out of the body. Uh, so I thought that was really fascinating. The most intense episode of my, you know, now uh, 219 episodes is episode 200 with Chris Masterjohn. Um, that one, I took pages of notes while interviewing him, just personal pages of notes, because he goes into the understanding of the methylation process. So if you've ever heard of the MTHFR or if you're worried that you're not methylating your B vitamins, he, he goes in depth into what you can eat and what you can balance in your diet to support methylation and detoxification. I love looking at my plate going like, well, this, this broccoli is helping my immune system or this, these mushrooms are helping my immune system. And just knowing like these certain foods help the body in a certain way. It's just, I think it's, it's fun. It makes, it makes making sure adding that, that, that food to my plate much more enjoyable. Yeah, it was it was very interesting. Okay, so keep going. Who who else really struck you and taught you interesting things that that stay with you and pop out as you think about 219 interviews? So Stephen Flamsbaum is episode 17 and I had him on twice. Um he is a mental health counselor and he said something that I mean made me cry when he said it. I'd never thought you know, now now that he's now that he said it to me, like it I it seems so so um true, like it's been a truth I've always carried. But he said, look at the relationship you have with yourself. If you if you looked at the relationship you have with yourself like two separate people, you would have called the cops on yourself by now. We are so abusive towards ourselves and we put up with it because it's us, it's our relationship with ourself. And so he um, he talks about how to heal the body um, through healing the relationship you have with yourself. He, he ended up losing a lot of weight and overcoming his years of, um, of being overweight and feeling like, you know, the fat kid and went on to become a licensed, uh, mental health professional because he wanted to, um, help people heal that relationship they have with themselves. So it's a really beautiful, um, beautiful interview. And <laughs> I was still totally wet behind the ears. <laughs> um, and he did a great, he did a great job as a, as an interview guest. I love that. It reminds me of, I was having a conversation with a lot of our detoxers last night. We put people through a 26 day detox protocol. We take people live through it two or three times a year for the last four years. So we've taken almost 13,000 people through now and I was doing a live support call for them last night. It went almost two hours. And and I was talking about how on our Facebook page, it's it's a private page. It's not public facing that anybody can get into just for those who sign up for support. And and I saw I had seen someone that day 
saying it was, it was my day one and I already failed. And Mm. I had, you know, I had ordered weeks ago, I had ordered from some fundraiser, some Krispy Kreme and they came and I ate the donuts and, um, everyone came to her rescue and said, Hey, tomorrow, let's start again tomorrow. And, and so I was talking on this support call about, which really reminds me of what you said. I said, stop yourself a few times in the next day or two, when you catch the way that you talk to yourself and check yourself and say, if now you don't have to be a parent to, to be able to answer this question. If you're not a parent, imagine that you are. This person came from you genetically and came out of your body after you spent nine months gestating him and he came into the world and he's a little fledgling, five years old. Would you talk to your child the way you talk to yourself? Exactly. And if you don't, that's not true. If you talk to yourself much more harshly than you would talk to a child, why is that? And and how is that ever going to be productive? Do we ever respond to being beaten, to being to being criticized, to being told we're not good enough, to being called names? Like like he said, you would have called the cops on yourself. So it's really, it's really a good awareness. And I don't know that we can even say it in enough ways and enough times to get really clear that it needs to become habitual that we treat ourselves with softness and compassion and put the past in the past and just look at what we can do right now instead of all the mistakes we've made. And, and you know, would, would we look at our child and see that child as defined by the mistakes he's made? Are you going to raise your son that way? Absolutely not. And it's just, it's amazing that, that when we put it in that light, we realize how hard we are on on ourselves and how much, how much forgiveness we need to practice. Um, there's a big correlation between our ability to succeed in the goals we set out for ourselves and self-trust, our level of self-trust. If we've broken promises to ourselves in the past, we beat ourselves up for it. If we kind of like hold the past against ourselves we've deteriorated our self-trust. And so when we go to set out these health goals, for example, um, or business goals or life goals, the, the, the smaller amount of self-trust, we're more likely to not succeed. We're more likely to give up along the way, talk ourselves out of it, beat ourselves up you know, emotionally about it. And so what we need to do is, is, is build, build ourselves up, build our level of self-trust up because the more self-trust we have, um, the more we're going to hold ourselves accountable, which which also builds uh, better relationships. I love it. So you have a career as a psychotherapist if it ever doesn't work out for you as a health coach. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's what neurolinguistic programming for me is a combination of behavioral psychology and cognitive therapy. So, um, you know, becoming a master practitioner and trainer of NLP back in 2005, it is, it is taking me on a wonderful journey of self-discovery and also helping a lot of people. Uh, that's one of my passions. And another passion of mine is holistic health, because like you had mentioned in my intro, um, I had type two diabetes. I had chronic adrenal fatigue. I had chronic infections. I had high blood pressure. I had for infertility. I was told when I was 19, I'd never have kids. I had polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I reversed all of that with natural medicine. I, I don't have any of that. Um, and so just through diet and lifestyle changes and, and some you know holistic supplements um, when needed. And that is, I mean, most of the things out there can be healed that way um, easily. And um, and it's, it's, I get so angry when I think about that there's an entire institution making billions of dollars off of people's sickness 
rather than uh, uplifting them and helping them gain their health back. And I know I'm totally preaching to the choir, but that's what drives, that's what gets me out of bed every morning, knowing that my podcast may help another person to gain their health back and to conceive a child and to no longer have diabetes and, you know, no longer have anxiety and no longer have, you know, the things that are plaguing them. That that's, that's what gets me out of bed. I love that you have mission. Mission does get us all out of bed and we have to have something meaningful. And being a mom is gives you great purpose and meaning and changes your life forever. Um, mm-hmm. I think we also do our children a great service when they see us uh, progressing our own mind, our own careers, our own goals. I don't I don't know if I don't know if our children are best served by us, you know, basically having no um, identity beyond the person who serves all their needs. I was raised in a tradition where it was very frowned on for women to have any kind of outside career goals. And, and so I felt very, very bad being a working mom um, for part of my children's upbringing. And especially after I became single 10 years ago, and it was absolutely earth shattering for me to have my older daughter who's graduating college this May in a few months come to me and say, you know what, mom, I appreciate seeing you do something hard. I appreciate getting to watch you build your career. I loved getting to go sit in your classroom when you were teaching at BYU. And I, and I loved watching you build your business and I brag about you all the time. And I was like, you do? I didn't, so cool. I, you know, I don't even, you know, you don't really know that your kids are paying any attention. I certainly wasn't aware of the fact that I was modeling anything for them, but if there was benefit to them, I mean, I was working because I needed to help, you know, feed my family, but yeah, lots of interesting conversations. And I know that one thing that you and I have in common is a background of anxiety. And you told me that one of your favorite things to teach, let's, let's go a little sideways into that since we're just having an organic conversation about whatever we want to talk about here today. Absolutely. Yeah, I love. So anxiety was something that I didn't really have a label for when I was growing up. I didn't know that that's what my problem was. But I had separation anxiety. I couldn't do sleepovers if it wasn't at my house. I just like have a mental breakdown. Um, and I just thought that was normal. And my parents, you know, I'm an only child, so they thought that was normal too. Um, but I had anxiety to the point where it affected my, my ability to succeed in school and in college. I loved college, but the anxiety when it came to tests was um, nerve wracking and often would leave me not succeeding. And so when I went down this rabbit hole, discovering personal growth after my mom died in 2002, I, um, I started to seek out, I really wanted to grieve healthfully. Um, I was so depressed. I stopped eating. I stopped brushing my hair. You know, I did all the very, you know, typical, like you're depressed, you know, non-behaviors. I didn't do anything. And then I kind of woke up one day going like, I, you know, I need to start grieving healthfully. I need, you know, I, that's just what I want. And so I started seeking the way to, to do that. Um, that wasn't, you know, the standard sit on a Freudian couch for 200 hours and get nowhere. And I wasn't going to go through the drug route. And so I discovered neurolinguistic programming um, through looking at all the different ways of personal growth, and I found it to be the most effective way of breaking through personal barriers and just having these amazing breakthroughs um, because it allows you to learn tools that that help you to work with how your brain works, basically. So there's a technique I can teach you and I can teach all the listeners. And it's something that within three minutes, it'll have your anxiety completely turn off. And that's because we it addresses the root cause of anxiety. Now, there's a small percentage of the population where anxiety is actually... Um, uh, maybe a reaction to a food sensitivity or, you know, there's other causes. But what happens is often if there's a trigger like a food sensitivity uh, or an allergy, 
what happens is, um, are we, are we sort of start making a mental story about it and we build it up and build it up and build it up. And so the anxiety, the trigger might be physical, but then we build it up into the, in the mind. And so that the really anxiety comes from the mind. Anxiety is not a negative emotion like any other emotion. You can have negative emotions or positive emotions from the past. So you can think about a time in the past when you're insanely happy and uh, or like that time when your daughter said that, you know, she she looks up to you and she really, you know, was happy that she could model, uh, learn from you and model you. Um, you know, you could think about that moment and you could start to feel that warmth in your chest as you think about happy memories or you could think about sad memories or angry memories and you can bring up those emotions in the present. You cannot have anxiety about the past because anxiety isn't an emotion like any other emotion. Anxiety is a fear of the future. It's all about our focus. So anxiety is uh, directed by our focus. What happens is we often, we don't even realize we're doing it. We focus on what we don't want. And so we say to ourselves, like, I don't want to be fat or I don't want to be broke or I don't want to fail or I don't want to, you know, I don't want to slip and fall and or I don't want to get bad reviews. And so, and, or I want to disappoint that person. And so we say what we don't want, but the unconscious mind cannot hear a negative directly. And I'll give you an example of this. Don't think of a red dress. What did you just think of? A red dress. Don't think of a sandy beach on Hawaii. Thinking about the sandy beach. It's because the unconscious mind, unless we've been, you know, unless someone's been intensely trained, um, the unconscious mind will focus on the the subject of the or the like the object of the sentence and the unconscious mind doesn't hear a negation doesn't hear it directly so when you say to your kids don't slam the door the kid hears slam the door the best thing to do is to say what you want please close the door quietly that's the best thing to do when you're working with employees is to state it in the positive. If you have to state something in the negative, follow it up with the positive. Because if you're say if you're telling an employee what not to do, they're only going to hear what you don't want them to do. And the same goes for your unconscious mind. So your unconscious mind is your body, like your heart. Your unconscious mind is what beats your heart. It's what breathes your breath when you're out thinking about it. It's what regulates your um, autonomic nervous system response to stress or to relaxation and healing. So your unconscious mind is running your body while you're doing the higher thinking. Okay. So your conscious mind does higher thinking. Your, your unconscious mind does everything else. Your unconscious mind, your body is listening to every thought you have. And you could be sitting there in a very safe environment in your home or in your office or in your car. You're completely safe. But if you start thinking about Freddy Krueger coming after you or zombies or a bear or the IRS, whatever it is that your fear is, I guarantee you, we can, if you think about it for 30 seconds, your heart's going to start racing. Your breath is going to become shorter. Your palms are going to start sweating. Um, you will go into tunnel vision and your body will shunt blood away from the logic centers of your brain. So you go into the fight or flight response, the sympathetic nervous system response of fight or flight. And all of this happens because you had 30 seconds of thinking about something that you perceive as a threat. So we all day long, we're having these thoughts that are, that are messages to our body that we are, we are in a, a threatening situation. 
And that's because our, we're focusing on what we don't want to have happen. And so there's a way, first of all, there's a technique I'm going to teach you now. And this technique is what you do when you're in anxiety. So you already thought about something you didn't want and you're already in anxiety, you're already feeling it, maybe in your stomach or in your chest, um, wherever you feel it in your body. And this technique, it takes less, less than three minutes. In fact, once you learn it, it takes about 30 seconds to do and it'll turn off the anxiety response. You do it enough and it becomes a neurological strategy that your that your brain goes towards instead of focusing on what you don't want. So for me to teach this to you, uh, do you have something that's coming up in the future? It doesn't have to be a big thing, but is there something, an event coming up in the future for when you think about it right now, you can feel anxiety right now? Uh, yes. Great. And it's okay if you don't share it. You don't have to share what it is. Um, and for the listeners, think about something that's going to happen in the next few weeks that when you think about it, you feel anxiety. Now, um, ask yourself on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the worst and one being very minimal, where's your anxiety right now when you think about this event that's coming up in the future? Six. Great. And the listeners, go ahead and just on a scale of one to 10, where's your anxiety? Um, it's okay if it's a two, it's okay if it's a 10, just know where your number is. Now, listeners, follow along as I guide Robin. Robin, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to float above your timeline so your eyes are closed and imagine like your entire life is a line out in front of you, uh, past being in front and, and sorry, the, the past being behind you, the, fr the future being in front of you. And I'd like you to just float up above that timeline and I'd like you to float 15 minutes past the successful completion of the event for which you have anxiety around staying floating above it. I want you to float 15 minutes past the successful completion. Look down on the event. Now, where's your anxiety? Zero. It's at zero. Great. You can come back to now and open your eyes. Now there's some people in the, li the listening audience that still have a bit of anxiety. And so there's two things I'm going to teach that are, that are, uh, yep. Like uh, the additional steps. If you still have anxiety, most people, I want to say 90% of people at this point, just like you, Robin have zero anxiety from this one step. The people who still have anxiety, they either didn't focus on the success so they just focused on the completion of the event and they didn't see the successful completion. So you, for those that, that did that, you need to focus on the successful completion. And what that looks like is it's a very mundane event. It's like, what's 15 minutes after you wrote an exam or you took a, or you got off a plane or you, you know, had a meeting with your accountant or your boss, you know, so all these things that we're nervous about or you were anxious about. Well, what's 15 minutes after that? It's something totally mundane, like, you know, you're you're at, in your hotel room already or, you know, you're driving home already or you got home already or you're walking to your car. Like the you're just seeing 15 minutes past the successful completion or maybe it was a, it was a job interview and it went successfully. So 15 minutes after that, you're calling your friend or your mom and telling them how well it went. Um, but once you visualize that, the threat that you're basically telling your body, there is no threat. It went successfully. Everything's fine. Um the, those who still have anxiety after they imagine the successful completion, it's because that they 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 have a deeper. There's layers to their anxiety, and I'll give you an example. I was interview. I was um, working with a an author who had uh, published a book successfully, and he was about to publish the second book. And I know, I'm sure you can relate. He had anxiety around the. Uh, all the all the um, you know the book going the launch going well and he really wanted to make sure it went well and he was kind of like biting his nails at the thought of going you know doing the launch again 
And so I had him, you know, visualize 15 minutes past the successful completion of the book launch. And he's, his um, anxiety went from about an eight to about a two. And I said, okay, what are you anxious of right now? And it took him a second. He said, oh, the reviews. And he didn't realize that. He had to go out to like, he had to go past the first step to realize that it was deeper, that it was really the reviews he was worried about. And so I said, go uh, 15 minutes past the successful completion of all the reviews of your book. I mean, that could be 200 years from now. He went out and imagined the last, the very last review his book ever got. And his anxiety went to zero and he sat back in his chair and he said, it's like, it's like this weight just melted off of him. And he said, every time I get off of an interview, cause he also does podcasts and he says, every time I get out of an interview for about an hour, my wife can't even talk to me. I become so depressed and he didn't know why. And he realized it's because what he has running this, this story is running in his head is everyone that's listening to this interview is going to hate me, is not going to like it. Like he starts making up in his mind all these negative reviews of what he just did. And once he learned this technique, then every time he ends an interview, he just imagines 15 minutes past the successful completion of every person that's ever listened to it and loved it. So we have to imagine the success. And now it's like that has brought him infinitely more joy and uh, relaxation into his life and passion, like a new passion for what he does because he no longer um, has this level of anxiety around uh, the reviews. And so um, all you have to do is ask yourself, what am I anxious of? And then go 15 minutes past the successful completion of that. And that takes, what, 30 seconds? And you do that every time you have anxiety, it will begin to rewire the brain. Now, that's just one technique. I've got I've got over 20 techniques that I teach. Um, and uh, so that's just that's kind of sort of like if you're already in anxiety. My goal with you, uh, with all the listeners, is to teach you all the techniques so that you your brain doesn't even go there in the first place, that your brain focuses on what it wants to begin with. Uh, when I was a kid in Canada... I would slip and uh, fall every winter on the ice around February where we get freezing rain and I would damage my tailbone, bruise it so bad um, sometimes that I just I had to sit on like a donut, <laughs> one of those, um, you know, inflatable donuts. And uh, it was so painful. I became very afraid of of walking, you know, to, to the car, walking to school or walking to the bus um, in the wintertime uh, for fear of falling. Well, when I learned this technique, I was I was still in Canada. And when I learned this this technique, I learned these the, this series of techniques I caught myself and, and started listening to my thoughts for the first time I could hear them because, you know, once you learn these techniques, you start to hear your thoughts and become conscious of them. And what I realized I'd, I'd been saying my whole life is I don't want to slip. Well, I was telling my body to slip. I was, I was giving the message to my body to slip. So I said, I don't want to slip. I don't want to fall. I don't want to hurt myself. Well, what is my mind here? What is my body here? Slip, fall, hurt yourself. And so I stood there on the ice halfway between the house and the car thinking, what can I say? What's the opposite of, I don't want to slip, fall and hurt myself. Like it took me a while. It, it does take a while to, this is like, uh, you have to put on the brakes in your thinking and then, and then try a new way. And so I said to myself, I want to remain erect, walk safely to my car. And then I imagine bear claws coming out of my feet. And to this day, I have never slipped on the ice and hurt my tailbone. And it has been 
you know, many years. <laughs> this works. Every time I, I end up walking on ice, I just say this to myself. I want to remain erect, walk safely to my car. And then I imagine bear claws coming out. So I'm telling my body the, the messages you're cause your body, your mind, body connection, your body listens to your mind. So what, what, it, well, you've got to catch yourself. What are you focusing on? Are you focusing on what you want or what you don't want? When you focus on what you don't want, you trigger the autonomic nervous systems, fight or flight response which shunts blood away from the logic center's brain. So now we can't think clearly and triggers the anxiety, the anxiety response in the body. And so now we're sort of held captive uh, where we're held hostage by our lower brain because the autonomic nervous system's um, sympathetic nervous system response shunts blood away from the logic centers of the brain. So now we're really not in charge anymore. So we've got to catch it beforehand. We got to catch it as soon as we can. So we got to focus on what we want. And that's my technique. How did you like it? I loved it. And, you know, people with anxiety cling to things like that. I can say that as a person who's suffered with anxiety since I was very young. And I'm kind of a hybrid of what you mentioned that some people have food triggers. For me, if I eat corn syrup, if I eat anything with corn Mm -hmm. syrup in it, actually refined sugar is really bad. Refined sugars and alcohols are really bad for me, but corn syrup is the worst. And I'll wake up the next morning. Doesn't if I wake up at five a.m. If I wake up six a.m. Doesn't matter. If I wake up four a.m., I'm dead because I'm just going to lie there in a complete and total panic attack. But if I've had, if I've had corn syrup or sugar, I will wake up the next morning with a dread that makes me not even want to get out of bed. And it cannot be not doesn't necessarily have to be attached to anything. There doesn't have to be necessarily an event in my day that I'm worried about or that I don't like my life. It's just it's almost just like this, you know, they call it generalized anxiety disorder. So I appreciate those thoughts, because I think that a person with anxiety thinks that the the anxiety is the thing that they're stressed about. Oh, I'm just afraid of public speaking or I'm having some financial problems. No, that's just, we, everybody has issues going on all the time. Why, why does yours provoke anxiety? If that's your neurological response to stressors, then, you know, tips like that can be really, really invaluable. So that was really practical. I know you've got more where that came from. So we're setting up greensmoothiegirl.com slash anxiety. And that will take you to some great stuff from Ashley, because this is one of her tips. Tell, tell a little more about what they'll get there. Great. Well, I have a webinar where I teach uh, another technique. I teach that one. So you get to learn, you know, I get more in depth into that technique and why it works. And I teach another technique uh, actually for also eliminating general anxiety, uh, something, the technique I teach in this webinar, uh, will be really beneficial to you as well. Um, and then I offer, so I teach for over 40 minutes in the webinar, a lot of great tools. And then I offer, uh, if they'd like to join the online class, which, um, is very, I make it very affordable for everyone because I want everyone around the world who suffers from anxiety to no longer have it. I just, I'm, I'm so passionate. I've been helping people for so many years. My first, very first client, when I first graduated as a trainer and master practitioner of NLP, um, she she came to me because she was in chronic pain, and I have a great technique for eliminating chronic pain. It's um it's similar to um, Dr. Johnny Sarno's work, uh, understanding the mind body connection and how the brain and how the, the brain creates pain when we have unresolved emotions. And so she came to me for that. And we successfully got rid of her chronic pain. What she didn't tell me was that she's also on anxiety medication. And a few days later, after our, uh, I did a follow up with her after our um, really successful um, breakthrough session. She said to me, "Oh yeah, I got rid of my two pain medic medications, and I 
flushed my, and of course I never tell someone to just flush their, their meds. Like you got to go back to your doctor or pharmacist and, and work with them to like, you know, get off of it safely. But she just, she was kind of like done. She just said, listen, I, I just flushed my, my anxiety meds and I haven't taken my pain meds or my anxiety meds since I met you. And then we kept following up and, and sure enough, I just thought it was so cool. It just hit me like people, cause I, I just didn't get it. Like people are on medication for this. Like, like it's a big deal. Like a lot of people are on um, anxiety meds and they don't have to be, they, they learn these techniques and they just, they don't have to be. And in terms of your food trigger, what I want to say is that there's a way to change the relationship you, you have on a conscious level with that unconscious experience. So with, with the unconscious mind sort of communicating you with symptoms, like unconscious mind, the, the body speaks to us in symptoms. And, and then it's our brain that runs with it. Oh my God, because I feel this way, the rest of the day is screwed. And so we sort of, our conscious mind will, will create, uh, we're meaning making machines. So we're going to create like a, like a story around, I feel this crappy and therefore this is what's going to happen. So you may not consciously catch yourself or be aware, but you may just be like, I don't want to get out of bed because I feel really bad. But then the mind sort of begins to race and, and make meaning around it. The best thing you can do when you wake up in the morning after having eaten a food that is giving you that trigger is, um, imagine that evening. So, so imagine the successful completion of your day having gone really well because that you got to turn off the stress response. So you're sending a signal to your mind and to your body that you're safe and that everything's going to work out. So, so that's, that is the way to break that, that cycle. Um, but I have a whole technique around that and I, I'd love to teach it to you. Yeah. So you can, you can get that at greensmoothiegirl.com slash anxiety. I am, you know, I, I was telling you before our interview that for the most part, I see my anxiety as fuel for my life and a little bit of anxiety is, is a good thing. Problem is when it gets, um, too big and I wake up in the morning and I'm not happy. And you know, the funny thing is even when I've been in really, um, intense periods of anxiety in my life, which, you know, now I know how to manage it. I still I get up and get going and I'm fine by like 9, 10 a.m. and feel perfectly happy. But it's that something about which makes me feel like it's har- some kind of hormonal or ser- serotonin, some kind of uh, neurochemical. It's when I wake up in the morning, I just wake up in a in just a pit of dread and anxiety. And so, you know, the lucky thing is for me related to it being that food is now my anxiety is around sugar. Like, hey, don't eat it because you're going to pay a cu- the price for this later. And that's not a bad thing because is sugar good for any of us? No, it's not. No, <laughs> it's particularly bad for me. And just funny side note, Ashley, just because you and I talk about nutrition and stuff, and it's a big part of what we do in our platform. I am in a 90 day sugar bet right now with one of my best friends, Matthew. And about six or seven years ago, he and I did a kickoff for a one year sugar bet. And before I did a year of eating no sugar, I thought, wait for it. I thought that it would be the least fun year of my life. I thought that it would be like a really lame year where I kind of just gutted it out and suffered. And you would think from from that, that like all I do is eat sugar. And it's not really true. It's not really true. I didn't eat a ton of sugar back then. Um, I ate, you know, far, far, far less sugar than most people do. But it was like psychologically, it was like the, the way I rewarded myself for working all day, you know, it was like some little afternoon treat or whatever. And I'll tell you, the thing that I learned from challenging myself to not eat any sugar for a year is that life was just as good. It's just as fun. I enjoy food as much. I didn't feel deprived. 
once I got past those first few days, I knew I was in it for the long haul. Like it actually took all the choices off the table that I would sit there and stew about, am I going to eat that? Or am I not going to eat that? And you sit there and have that stupid conversation mm-hmm. with yourself for two hours at a restaurant or at a party. And, um, it just took that conversation away because I wasn't about to pay Matthew $10,000 because I ate a brownie. <laughs> right. And, and that's yeah, what was, that was, what was on the table. And so this time we're, we're only, I want to say a week and a half in, in our 90 day sugar bet. And the reason it's 90 days is because that's what, that's what Matthew wanted to do. He didn't want to commit to a year. I would have committed to a year easily, but you know, this time it's like not even hard. And I really feel bad for him because this isn't going to be hard for me. And so he's going to be the only one who's fighting his sugar addiction. I mean, I'm kind of kidding, but this time we did not go for a $10,000 bet. There's no money on the table. And instead we bought edible spiders and, oh, um, no, yeah. Silkworm larva that if we lose, we have to like eat in front of the other one, like on camera, we have shock collars ordered that are on their way. Um, <laughs> remote control shock collars where you wear it and I can zap him as many times as I want for a period of time that if he loses. So we're, we're making this sugar bet all completely about fear and anxiety. So this is not a tip for how to manage your anxiety is what I'm telling you right now. This would be the opposite of a tip for how to deal with anxiety, but I'm totally okay with my anxiety about sugar increasing because we would all be better if we never ate processed sugar again. But it was it was a thing to to step into a year of not eating sugar knowing that on my birthday I would be not having birthday cake and on Thanksgiving I would not be having pecan pie. But what a cool awareness that I came to realize I still enjoy food. I still enjoy my life. I don't need a treat every afternoon. I will find another way to reward myself. Yeah. And you can get really creative and make, make something for your birthday, like stevia. Are you, are you, are you allowing stevia as your, as part of your sugar fast? Yeah. We haven't gotten really granular double meaning intended right there. Um, about <laughs> our rules this time, but, but last time for that year, like we couldn't have ketchup or, mm-hmm. you know, anything with any kind of sugar added. And so, yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, back back to, back to this. I, I appreciate your thoughts on anxiety. And we're hearing this from someone who suffered with it a lot from, from childhood like me. So everybody loves an actionable tip. So Ashley, you're really articulate for your young age. I know you've come through a lot. You've suffered through a lot in your early life and it always shows up as, as uh, wisdom and compassion. And I really, really feel that from you. So Ashley's uh, podcast is Learn True Health. I really love it. Um, if I'm really lucky, I'll maybe talk her into doing some interviews for us. We're putting up new sites in 2018, holisticdentistanswers.com and emfanswers.com. And I just think at some point, Ashley and I'll be collaborating on something because I really connect with her and I, I love what she's doing. But Ashley, thanks for enlightening us on what uh, works in neural like linguistic programming and your own personal experience as a practitioner for anxiety. And thanks so much for um, doing your podcast. It's fantastic. Really, the audience is for health coaches, ladies and gentlemen, but I, you know, just as a regular lay person, you're going to love it. So tell people where else they might um, find you if I've missed anything. Oh, you got it. You, they can go to learntrail.com or you know, if they're listening, they're probably listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher, iHeartRadio or um, any of the podcast directories that you're on, I'm on as well. Um, so they could just, you know, Google Learn True Health and, and choose whatever their uh, favorite podcast directory is and subscribe. 
I got so many episodes and um, I, yes, you know, I don't agree with all my guests, but I, you know, that's not the point. The point is to get the information out there. And so you're just going to find lots of actionable steps. And I've, I've done interviews with EMF experts and I had a holistic dentist on him. Those are the really, I'm passionate about EMF. It's amazing. Like um, episode uh, I just did with uh, Dr. Klinghart 218. He talks about that Wi-Fi specifically, Wi-Fi uh, is is um, making uh, uh, autism and and it may, not only autism but but dementia. The reason why dementia is becoming the number one disease, it's surpassed, it's surpassing cancer and heart disease, is uh, because Wi-Fi causes the heavy metals in the brain to. Um, vibrate basically on a certain frequency. It's like, like the heavy metals become like an antenna in the brain. And so he has this whole talk that he gave in the interview about, about how just, I mean, EMF is bad, but specifically Wi-Fi is damaging our brain and causing dementia. And when he gets autistic children, the parents to to remove Wi-Fi from the house, like you could still have internet, just do you know hardwired in, and then do heavy metal detox. Those that's the one-two punch he does, and he sees kids no longer be on the spectrum. And so if if they're affected by Wi-Fi and heavy metals, you know he says that there's a lot of other health conditions, uh, autoimmune conditions that are also affected by it. So I'm excited. I definitely would love to work with you. And I'm excited to all about all the information we can bring people about, um, you know, cleaning up their EMF and also um, everything around holistic dentistry. That's such a, uh, a big topic that needs to be explored. It does. And we want to be part of educating people more about it. I know you've done some interviews. I've done some. I heard Joe Mercola on another podcast recently say that we will look back at the EMF epidemic, the fact there are all these chaotic frequencies everywhere. We will look back 20 years from now and we will see it as a bigger threat to public health than we currently see secondhand smoking. And you're you're young enough that you don't remember restaurants and sections on airplanes that were for smokers, but I did. And I was a waitress in the smoking section of a restaurant and put myself through college that way. And it's unthinkable now that we would have people smoking. I mean, if you go to um, Europe or Las Vegas is the only place that you're going to experience that. It's unthinkable now in America that there could be indoor smoking. But remember, that was our reality until literally so much evidence about the secondhand smoking effects made it so that the U.S. government had to protect us from it. Well, we have a lot of work to do, you and I, on educating people so that we demand protection from the 5G network rolling out and from being in yoga class where the teacher doesn't say, hey, everybody put your phone on airplane mode and so many other things. But it all starts here, you and me stepping out there and getting the experts to tell our audiences what they can do to be healthier. So turn that Wi-Fi off in your house. And Ashley James, you're an absolute delight. Thanks for being with me today. Thank you so much, Robin. It has been such a pleasure to be here today. 